everybody. This is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's August 28th, 2016. Uh, now today we're talking about width and uh, how to get more of it. And, you know, we love width. We love wide mixes. And I know a lot of people that struggle with getting width and they struggle with getting their mix just to sound spacious, like there's space and width and not necessarily with the use of effects, but there's separation, there's stereo separation, there's dimensionality and it sounds wide, but it doesn't sound awkwardly wide. It seems to wrap around you in a sort of like a big hug of a mix. So we're going to talk about some considerations with width, uh, what it means, and how to get more of it. So the very first principle that you must understand, and this is going to sound a little bit like metaphysical or something, but uh, the very first thing you have to understand about width is that if to truly understand things that are wide, you need to understand things that are narrow. And I'm not talking necessarily about contrast specifically, but we're, we're going to talk about that also. But uh, what's the ultimate thing in narrow? Well, mono, right? I mean, that's not wide at all. That's just coming from one spot. But the real key with mono, okay, if we're talking about something that's straight up the middle, mono, mono just means that it's the exact same signal in the left and the right channels. So, you know, if you've got something panned in the center, all that means is that it's the same volume in the left speaker that it is in the right sig- right speaker, and it's the exact same signal. Um, so it's the same in rhythm, it's the same in tone, it's the same in volume, it's the same in phase, it's the same in everything, okay? it's That's all mono is. It's the identical signal in every way identical in the left speaker and the right speaker. Okay, you've, you're with me so far? Good. Okay, so now that you understand mono... The theory follows, the more different that the left and right channels are, the wider they will be. For example, um, a tambourine uh, playing, you know, on the left speaker, hard left, and a bass guitar playing whole notes on the right um, are going to sound incredibly wide. They are different in tonality, they are different in rhythm, and they are different in phase. Uh, so that's one of the biggest concepts that you have to understand, okay? I know that might have just blown your mind a little bit, but uh, we're going to talk a lot about this. The other thing to consider when it comes to mono and, you know, narrowness is sort of this idea of low frequencies are monophonic on playback. So maybe a better way to put that is technically low frequencies are omnidirectional on playback, at least on speakers. If we're talking about headphones, things get a little funky, but um, but on speakers, in, in a room, acoustically, low frequencies are omnidirectional. So they come from the speakers in sort of all directions and sort of go all the way around. That's one of the reasons why you can put a subwoofer almost anywhere and you just put it where the response is the best and you don't have to worry so much about it sounding like it's in the center or, you know, whatever, because those low frequencies, particularly below 100 hertz, but also pretty, pretty, uh, you know, omnidirectional below 200 and 300 hertz still, mostly, you know, 200 hertz and below, but definitely below 100 hertz. Um, and I mean, certainly below 50 hertz. I mean, it's almost completely monophonic uh, and omnidirectional. You know, they don't want to confuse those things, but, you know, omnidirectional just meaning it sounds like it's kind of just coming from everywhere. Um, so, when it comes to a mix situation, uh, if you have too much low frequency content on the left side and the right side, 
when on playback, it will physically sound like it's coming from kind of everywhere and it will be muddy and unclear and uh, it will sound just like the low end is just there. So typically the low end in a mix needs to come from the kick and the bass. Now, if there's no kick and bass in your mix uh, and it's, let's say, just a piano, a vocal and a cello, obviously, you know, you got to you're not just going to cut the low end on the left and the right and leave, you know. Now you can use an elliptical filter, which is essentially just high passing the side channel in a mid side EQ situation. Uh, you can use that if you want to, and that might be useful, but you're talking about a piano and that's sort of awkward to do that. It's not natural. It probably wouldn't sound that great, um, but it might. Uh, but the key is the left and right can't have tons and tons of low frequency information. Um, you know, and when I say lows, I really mean below, you know, below 200 Hertz really they don't need tons and tons of it. Okay, they can still have it. They should have it. I'm not saying dump it out. I'm just saying they can't have tons of it. Otherwise, on playback, and that's not even a mix thing. That's just the way that sound operates in a room. That's just how speakers work and how acoustics work. Those low frequencies will sort of seem like they're coming from everywhere rather than from distinct left and distinct right, like discrete locations. Um the next thing when it comes to understanding this sort of overall philosophy of width is to understand contrast. So if everything is full and wide, the entire song, it's not going to sound wide because you haven't shown the listener what narrow is yet. So you have to create growth and change. You have to build it into the arrangement itself. A great example of this is a band like the Foo Fighters. So the Foo Fighters have three guitar players. They have Dave Grohl and they have Chris Shiflett and uh, Pat Smear. Um, And in a mix, typically one's on the left, one's on the right, and Dave is in the center. Um, And they build that sort of growth into their arrangement where, you know, they might have an intro that's just Dave right up the middle. His guitar is totally mono. He's singing. It's, you know, his guitar and his voice. And then the chorus comes in and both guitars on the sides play and Dave also plays, Um, you know, but they build that into the way they write their music, you know, and that's the best way to do it is, you know, you have to sort of plan it out ahead of time. Okay, let's say you've got uh, organ and acoustic guitar and piano in your mix and you've got drums and bass and whatever. You have to sort of plan out, okay, who's going to be in the center? What's the main instrument? Uh, Is there going to be anyone in the center? Are you just going to have someone to the left and someone to the right? And then the organ is just sort of coming from the back, like sort of like atmospheric, or are you going to put, you know, the organ on the left and then the acoustic on the right and then the piano in the middle or whatever. And you build that into the actual arrangement. And with the Foo Fighters example, they actually, they write the songs knowing that that is how it's going to be recorded. Like they, they write that, knowing that, you know what I mean? That is the sound of their band. So it even goes back all the way to the songwriting, okay? All the, from step one, they can build width into their arrangement. I mean, it really can go back that far. And so I want you to keep that in mind, that the arrangement is so, so key. You know, what instruments are in there? What Who's playing when? Who's going to drop out in the verse? Who's going to come in in the chorus? Who's going to be over here? You know, you have to imagine the image of that song, um, 
uh, all the way from step one when you're actually writing the song. Now, of course, if you're not involved in the songwriting process, then you have to work on it in terms of what you can do as a producer or engineer or a mixer and arranger. What things can you remove? What you know, what roles can you set? You know, okay, these guys are going to be left and right. They're the big guys. That that's who. You know, when it when the chorus comes in, that's who shines. Is these big wide chorus, and then who? What can I take away? What can I remove to make the verses smaller? Um, you know, very seldom do songs that now now every now and then you have to make the compromise where there's a song that's say just big the whole time like uh certain punk songs or metal songs can be that way it's like the whole song is meant to just be huge the whole time you have to get a little bit more creative with those types of things you know maybe maybe you keep those things there but maybe you pan them in a little bit in the verses so you you still keep the left and right guitars and you don't really necessarily take anything away but you you know, pull them in maybe 80% left and right. And then the chorus, you push them out to a hundred and hundred. Um, so you have to get a little bit more creative with that, but ideally you can work it into the arrangement and, and plan it out that far early into the process where you can say, okay, we're going to have these two guitars in the chorus and in the verse, we're just going to have one and it's going to be dead center or it's going to be 50 left or whatever. Uh, And you can sort of visualize it uh, from there. So you have to sort of build that into the mix, into the song, into the arrangement. Um, So that's a huge factor is just the sort of contrast of all those different sections. The last factor uh, in terms of just like the general uh, theory of width is you have to avoid big mono. Now, if you're not familiar with big mono, I suggest Googling it. But basically, big mono is like, imagine you had a just a mono like Rhodes sound and then you put a stereo chorus on it. Uh, and it's like, well, it's not really stereo, like it's not really a different left and right thing. It's just a mono sound with like chorus on it. Uh, And there's a lot of key sounds and synth sounds that will sort of be this. It's not really a stereo thing. It's like a mono sound with like panning on it or like panning and and a reverb or something. And so that doesn't really sound wide per se and you can hard pan it left and right and it doesn't really sound any wider um it's just like a little bit more so you got to avoid stuff like that sometimes it's better to figure out a way to sort of extend that width and we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second so now that you understand the theory of wide and mono and sort of the mindset that you have to kind of get yourself into to understand that Uh, We have to sort of follow that train that says, all right, well, if we want the opposite of mono, we want wide, we have to make things different from the left and the right. Uh, So let's talk about some of those differences. Uh, The big thing is that, uh, you know, this is going to change slightly with each recording and each arrangement. depends on what instrument it is and it depends if, you know, whatever we're talking about. If we're talking about we want wide guitars or we want wide uh, keys or we want wide backing vocals or we want the whole mix to be wide or whatever. So um, I'm going to use guitars as an example. Uh, but it might not necessarily apply to everything, but it should be, you know, you should be able to apply them, you know, just pick and choose kind of what what works. So uh, the first thing you can do, all right, you can change the source, alter the source even. So you can use a different guitar. Um, you can change the pickup settings on that guitar or mess with the tone knobs. Uh, you can mess with the amp. 
okay, most, if we're talking electric guitars, uh, you can mess with the amp or the amp settings, okay? Uh, you can use uh, different amounts of drive or different amounts of volume on the amp. You can change the speaker cab that you're using. So if you have a 212 cabinet versus a 412 cabinet versus uh, a 112 cabinet, not only will those sound different tonally, but uh, they will respond different dynamically. Like one might be a little more punchy, one might be a little more sort of compressed and one smoothed over. Uh, you know, one will sound a little bit more sort of like, like the 112s will tend to sound nice and compact in the low end, whereas a 412 often has this big, big low end that's super punchy, but it's big. Um, okay, so you can also change the speaker in there. So if you have only one cabinet, you know, maybe alter the speaker, change that a little bit. Now, of course, you don't necessarily be doing that in the middle of a session, um, but you know what I mean. Uh, let's say you had a 212 cabinet and you could mic uh, the other speaker, okay? That's a good example. Uh, if the guitar has pedals on it, any effects of any kind, delays or reverbs, you could change those. Um, or any combination, you know, you could change the guitar strings, you could change the pick that's being used. Okay, and don't just pick one. You could you know, pick a combination of things to change. So, for example, on the left, you could have a Strat playing through a Fender amp with no pedals, uh, pretty clean and some reverb. And on the right, you could have, um, let's say, a Telecaster or a humbucker. If you really want to be different, you know, even the difference between single coils and humbuckers is much more dramatic than single coil A to single coil B. Uh, and even more dramatic in some cases is, let's say, the Strat you're playing on the neck pickup, and then you go to a Les Paul on the right playing on the bridge pickup. Okay, those are very different sounds, if your guitar player understand. Maybe an equivalent of that would almost be like, on one side, for like keys players, one side would be like a grand piano, a very bright grand piano, like a Yamaha or something like that. And on the left, uh, or did I already say the left? <laughs> Was that the, uh, on the left? Let's say on the left is the Yamaha, and on the right is like a Rhodes. You know, it, it's still a keys part, but it's a very, very different sound. You know, it's a lot smoother, a lot darker, but maybe more low end. Um, you know, and so that that's a big contrast there. Um, it, you'll pick a couple things to change. You know, on the right guitar, let's say we have the Les Paul maybe use a little bit less distortion or a little bit more distortion. And instead of a reverb, maybe use delay or maybe use no effect on that right guitar. Um, you know, that's change as many things as you feel are appropriate. You know, obviously you don't, don't just do it just arbitrarily like, um, okay, let's use the Les Paul on the bridge pickup with some delay. And the guitar player's like, uh, no, that's not, <laughs> you know, that's not the sound at all. You know, so like you have to work within the context, but change things as needed. Needed and as you can, you know, try to change as many things as possible. Don't just, you know, revert back to, oh, well, let's double it. Doubling sounds cool. Yeah, doubling does sound cool. But if you can change just anything about it, so like make the double, you know, a different pickup and maybe, uh, you know, change, use a slightly heavier pick and maybe turn down some of the effects and maybe add a little bit more distortion. So f less effects, more distortion. Um, that sort of contrast, again, is, is huge how much difference that can make as opposed to just doubling the same part twice. Um, and again, you can change the guitar itself completely. Um, that's, you know, that's a, a huge part of it, altering the source itself. The next part is if you have the power to do this, if you're in control of the session in this way, alter the actual notes being played. Uh, back to our guitar example, you know, let's say you're playing E 
down low, just your normal open E chord, you know, on the numbers, you know, numbered from low string to high string, that would be open, two, two, one, open, open, uh, you know, on piano, just imagine this is sort of like your main, like first position, you know, uh, E chord, right? Well, try on the other guitar, trying one inversion up. So your bass is now the third. Uh, so you're, it's three, five, one instead of one, three, five, you know, do you guys understand inversions? If you don't understand that, that's okay. Point is play the same chords, but just higher on the neck or higher on the piano inverted upward, uh, or lower. Try that too. Uh, I would, I tend to go upward because generally like, uh, like a low E chord on a guitar, you know, that's, that's already pretty low and you're starting to get into like bass, kick, snare territory. You know, the low E on a guitar is about 82 and a half hertz in that region. So that's actually pretty low. I mean, you're getting into like bass and kick territory down there. So um, obviously if you're doing metal or something, I mean, that's, you're, you're going to tune low. That's just how it is. That's just the part of the sound. Um, but, you know, try to invert the other guitar. So maybe not necessarily like way higher, but maybe just a couple frets up. Um, but you could even consider, you know, moving one guitar a lot higher, moving it, you know, up to, you know, not necessarily an octave, um, because that, you know, maybe isn't necessarily the most interesting musical, you know what I mean? An octave is just, it's just going to sound like an octave. Um, that's not necessarily the most interesting way to play it, but it could be cool. Um, uh, but maybe try a different inversion. Try it up maybe fifth to seventh fret area, or maybe even like eighth, ninth, tenth fret area. Um, you know, try putting a different root note in the bass that's still in the chord. Um, you know, try putting a fifth in the bass. Try putting a third in the bass. Uh, try even doing sort of more interesting inversions. So let's say you've got a dirtier guitar and a cleaner guitar. Maybe the cleaner guitar is doing more like sevenths and things like that to maybe create some interesting textures. But then the other guitar is playing more like power chords, you know, like one, five, one, really simple voicings, um, just really open, simple, clean voicings. Um, so that's something you can do. Um, again, I'm trying to be inclusive when it comes to piano. I'm a guitar player, so I naturally fall into that, uh, you know, world talking about it, but, uh, for piano, you know, try playing the chords up just a little bit, step them up or remove or drop the bass note on the other synth part. You know, let's say you've got a keys part and a Rhodes part or a keys part and a synth part, you know, don't play the root note on that. Just play, uh, if you're doing a pad, another thing you can do is switch to, uh, on the key in the keys world, like open voicings versus closed voicings. So very big, open, wide voicings of like one, five, uh, you know, three, five, one or whatever, um, versus very narrow closed voicings where all the notes are very close to each other. Uh, that can be a big thing. You know, one of them is, uh, is open. One of them is closed. Uh, or you could do, again, you could do one is open and big and the other one is closed and sort of narrow, but it's maybe shifted up a little bit or shifted down. Uh, most likely closed voicing. You'll, you'll have to shift those up a little bit, but anyway. Um, so if you can alter the notes that are being played between the left and the right, uh, and, and that can be a huge thing. Uh, that's a classic ACDC thing, like on Back in Black. Malcolm and Angus both played, you know, that E, that classic, you know, bomb, banana, banana, E, D, A, right? But uh, Angus was playing it at a different spot. And so he was playing uh, down low where Malcolm was playing higher. Um, and together you hear them as just this one huge sound, but it sounds nice and big and full, um, but it's inverted. So his guitar is, is higher and he's walking, you know, like low E, 
D, then A, and the other one's going high E, D, then A, or whatever like that, you know? So they're moving sort of differently. One is sort of like ascending to the chord, and the other one's sort of descending to the chord. And, uh, you know, so it's just things like that. It makes a huge difference. The third thing you can do is alter the rhythms between the left and right. Now, you got to be careful with this. I'm not talking about like crazy weird polyrhythms. That's not necessarily the answer. But for example, let's say on the left, the guitar player is playing whole notes and the other one is doing palm mutes, you know, like dun, 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 dun. And the other one's just blah, you know, holding out chords. Um, let's say one of them is playing just a slightly different accented rhythm and the other one is playing something straighter with no accents. Okay, just little ways that you can alter those rhythms just very subtly, you know, or let's say one of them is doing like, you know, uh, accenting every other eighth, like, but then the other one is going sort of like, so they're still playing eights, but they're like letting some of them ring and some of them aren't ringing and the chord is changing a little bit. It's going, you know, one up to three, one up to three. That interval is going na 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 and the other one and the main guitar is just ba ma 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 ba ma ma ma. So you can kind of hear that in your head. Imagine one guitar going na 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 you know, pulsing like that. But then you have ba na na na, right? I I hope you guys are enjoying this uh me singing to you. That's probably lovely, but um the point is, you can kind of imagine that in your head uh, without me even playing it. That, oh, okay, you can tell that that one's different and that they're similar. They would probably fit together. You know, it's like almost like you're creating, you know, like different layers of loops. You know, if any of you guys have ever messed with loops, um, you know, there are, you know, when you get a loop pack, there's often 10 different versions of the same kind of groove. There'll be like this sort of main uh, sort of style of a groove. And then there'll be like, you know, version one, version two, version three, or like slight variations of upon the same theme. Uh, And because of that, you can sort of create different sections, you know, verse section, chorus section, right? It's very similar to that. I know it sounds strange to talk about it like, oh yeah, it's like loops, which, I mean, it's all just songwriting and, you know, things like that. But just, you have to keep that in mind that not everything has to be the same rhythm. It gets boring. So just slightly different rhythms, you know, some notes accented, some notes held out longer than others. Um, You know, you don't want it to be like two really um, distinct parts that are going to distract from one another. You know, you got to be very careful about that too. We're not talking about like, you know, while one guy is playing a lead part, the other one is playing a different lead part. You know, you got to think logically like, okay, this guy's playing a lead part. The other guy should probably just be playing chords, right? Rhythm guitar player and lead guitar player. Um, you know, but I'm talking more like if they're both just playing chords, like in a chorus, uh, you know, you got these quote doubled guitars, um, you know, why have them identical in every way? Tone and playing and rhythm and I mean, why? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't, what's your justification? Because it sounds cool. I mean, very seldom is there any reason, real reason to have them identical. Even if you just change a couple things, even if you play it exactly the same, but you change the tone of it, you know, you add a little more distortion, a little less distortion, you add an effect on one of them that's not in the other, you change the guitar to a different guitar. I mean, there's still so many ways that you can change it, but, or maybe you just invert the chords a little bit, you're still playing the same rhythm. I'm just giving you examples, okay? Um... 
The other thing too I'll say about in terms of rhythm is tightness. So a lot of times when you have doubles, you have the same guitar player play it. But uh, in a lot of like classic uh, examples of wide guitars, there's actually two guitar players in the band. Um, and one of the reasons why it can sound wider is because they're not going to hit the guitar the exact same way. They're not going to attack that guitar in the same way. Their rhythms are not going to be so perfect. They're not going to play that chorus you know, on top of the beat, just like the other guitar players playing. And he's going to, you know, though this guitar naturally tends to, he tends to sit on the back of the beat a little bit. And so you get a sort of slight, like little sway from left to right because they're not perfectly in time. So if you can, you know, have a, make sure you don't, don't just be like, oh, I'm just going to have this guitar player play both sides, you know, have the second guitar played by somebody else, um, you know, or play it on a different day or play it, you know, like I said, with a completely different guitar, play it with a guitar that has higher action or something to make them play differently or have them use a different pick. Uh, that's a big one. If they use a different pick, if they're used to, uh, like me, for example, I use a heavy pick. I use a 1.2 or 1.4 or something, 1.5, something like that, but I don't play very hard. Um, but if you gave me like, a you know, 0.7 or something like that, like a medium pick, uh, I would have to play slightly differently to, to, to feel right, you know? So, um, you know, changing the pick can do that. It can give you sort of a difference between the feeling of the left and the right, um, uh, because of it'll change how you attack that instrument. Um, so that's another big factor is don't get obsessed with like making the left and right perfectly tight. I've actually had situations where the left and right were so tight to each other on a doubled guitar. I had to delay one of the sides because he played it so well. It was a really good guitar player and it was like on a metal thing that I was doing and uh, he play, one guitar player played both guitars and it was so tight and so perfect that it, it just sounded like smeared and it wasn't sounding wide. So I actually just ended up delaying one of the sides by like 15 milliseconds or something just so that the they weren't hitting exactly the same way. And I even tried to find places where I could like you know shift this verse just I mean like not even like five milliseconds you know, earlier or, you know, so instead of 20 milliseconds late, it was 15. And then, you know, I, tr I physically tried to like <laughs> untighten them, you know, because it was so tight. It was, it just sounded kind of chorusy and it didn't sound wide. It didn't sound big and it didn't sound distinct. It just sounded like this sort of blur, right? And that's what can happen when you start combining these, these left and right sides. And these frequencies are literally like masking each other and combining and canceling and combining and you get these sort of phasey, strange sounds and they just, you end up with this weird smeared sound that doesn't sound wide. So another way to alter the left and right sides in order to get more width is to change the engineering technique. So let's say again, our guitar example, you've got one on the left side that's mic'd very close with the dynamic microphone. And then on the other side, you've got a ribbon mic uh, on that cabinet, uh, which might be a different cabinet, different guitar, that is pulled back a foot or two. So you have very distinctly different chains in terms of the instrument and the amp and the mic 
again, you've changed a lot of things at this point. You don't have to change, you know, a, a hundred of them, but you know, you maybe change three or four things or two or whatever, just change things. Uh, so what's interesting about that, when you move the microphone in a different spot, especially if you pull it farther away, so if you actually give some distance in there, uh, that, vi- that can heavily influence it because you're adding a complexity of a little bit more room involvement. And not only that, but there's a slight time delay, just very slight, from having that distance from the speaker to the microphone. You know, for example, um, if you have something that is two feet away, that's about 1.77 milliseconds uh, of delay. Now, again, it's very, very subtle, and most of us couldn't even hear that, uh, but it, it's not identical. That's the point, you know what I mean? And the likelihood of if it's the same player playing both parts uh, of them hitting things in a pretty darn similar way, that's a decently high likelihood, especially if it's a good player. And it's like almost becomes more of a problem the better the player they are because they're going to be hitting it in the same way uh, because they're used to playing it that way if they're a great player. Um, They've got good, consistent technique, right? But that actually kind of hurts you in this situation in terms of width. So you can change out the microphone for a different mic uh, or even a different mic type. So if you use an SM57 on one, use a condenser on the other or use a ribbon on the other. Now, if that's too different, you know, like an SM57 and like a dark ribbon, that can be really different. So, you know, if you have the ability to do, to do this, you know, maybe use this ribbon on this amp and then maybe that ribbon on that amp or this dynamic on this one and this dynamic. So, you know, they're going to respond differently. But if you really want a different sound, um, you know, ribbon mics and dynamic mics are going to respond dynamically much different. You know, dynamic mics are generally going to be really punchy, very articulate. Uh, condenser mics sometimes even more so articulate, uh, you know, it depends what size of, you know, large diaphragm, small diaphragm, blah, blah, blah. But uh, ribbon mics tend to be a little bit squishier in their response. And the way that they handle transients is a little bit more forgiving than a condenser or a dynamic. Um, ribbon mics also can't take, uh, you know, tons and tons of low end because that ribbon will sort of flex. And so it can kind of get a little bit farty sometimes if the amp is really loud. You know, it's not necessarily going to snap the ribbon, but it'll, it can kind of get a little bit flubby uh, if you push a lot of level into a ribbon mic. Uh, whereas a dynamic mic will pretty much just keeps on sounding the same. A condenser mic is somewhere in between where sometimes it can get a little bit tubby and squishy and even sort of like distort the transformer a little bit. Um, but the point being is uh, different microphones have different tonal characteristics and different peaks and sort of dips in their response, but they also have different dynamic characteristics. Uh, so maybe you could even use that to offset the tones. For example, let's say you had a Les Paul on one side and it seemed a little bit, um, you know, a little bit dull or something like that. So you might use a condenser mic to kind of keep the punch in there and get a little bit punchier. But then if you have a single coil guitar on the other side, maybe use the ribbon mic, kind of soften that up a little bit. So um, this helps sort of balance those out a little bit, but they're also, because they're different microphones, you're still not, uh, you know, they're not really, they don't really sound the same. You've just sort of helped improve the tones of the guitars while still maintaining the difference between the left and the right. So the last tip that I'll give you in terms of changing things from the left to right is don't get obsessed with doubling stuff, okay? Um, You don't have to double anything at all, okay? Um, You can just have one guitar in a song. Uh, You know, all this we've been talking, we're talking about changing this guitar and that guitar or this key sound and that key sound. You know, maybe consider just dropping one of them. 
you know, don't have two. <laughs> That's also an option for you. You know, you if you just are having trouble with it and you can't seem to get things to sound, you know, they just seems to still sound blurry and unclear, you know, consider just having one guitar. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe put the guitar on the left and the keys on the right rather than have a pair of guitars and a pair of keys. You know, maybe just pick one guitar and one keys and roll with it. Um, And then again, this comes back to the arrangement side of things where maybe there's only two guitars at a couple parts in the song, like the, you know, the choruses maybe. And it's not, you know, there's only one guitar everywhere else. That's an option for you as well. So don't get obsessed with doubling, but when you can, change things between the left and the right. If there are two, especially if they're two of the same sound or two very similar sounds, like two guitars or, you know, two keys parts or whatever. Um, You know, naturally, if you have like an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar, those are already a lot different just by the nature of how they sound. But uh, you can still change that up a little bit. Let's say you had a brighter acoustic guitar and you had a darker sounding electric guitar or you had a brighter sounding electric and a darker sounding acoustic or you played one with a pick and one with the fingers again changes anything you can do to keep those left and right uh, parts different um, you're you're in better shape in terms of getting something that's wide and also just getting something that's interesting so I have a couple more things to talk about when it comes to width um, if you still don't have enough width after making these changes to the left and the right, uh, you know, we have these things, these stereo wideners, some people call them spreaders, you know, they're most of the, most of them at their core are mid side processors. And again, if you're not familiar with mid side processing, I highly recommend looking it up on YouTube or something like that. You know, it could go on and on. It's very hard to describe too. So it's probably a little easier with a video, honestly. Um, but Mid-side processing in a nutshell is sort of like doing weird phase tricks to kind of fool your brain to thinking things are wider. And stereo widening processors can be super cool. If used tastefully, if used on just an element or two, I don't necessarily recommend using them on the entire mix, but I can't tell you not to do that. Um, You know, I know some mastering engineers that do mid-side stuff all the time, so I can't necessarily tell you not to do it, but... I personally don't like to put stereo wideners on my master bus, but I will sometimes use them on an element of the mix, like the backing vocals or the guitars or uh, the keys. But again, I don't, uh, I try not to use them too aggressively. You know, I don't use them as a crutch. I use them as sort of like just that extra 5% you know, of excitement. If I'm like, man, this is great, but I just need it just a hair wider, just a tiny bit wider, just to make sense to my brain. Um, You know, the stereo wideners are great for that, but I wouldn't go too far. Most of them are set up in sort of like a percentage, like 100% is normal left and right. You know, 0% is mono. Um, So typically on those types of plugins, I won't go more than 110% maybe ever. I mean, I... I can't remember the last time I really went that far. Sometimes it's just like, like I said, like that extra five, six, seven percent width that that really can help a lot to just add that extra dimension. And again, you don't have to do it the whole song. Uh, you could keep the guitars the same way the whole song, but if that last chorus, you're like, man, the last chorus, I just want it to pop just a little bit more. 
you could put that on the on the guitars for just the last chorus. And so those guitars just seem the tiniest bit, little bit wider. Or, you know, you could put it on the master bus and the whole song is just a little bit wider, that last chorus. You know, so the first chorus, maybe things are a little bit narrower. Second chorus, maybe things are hard left and right. Last chorus, maybe you pop on that, uh, that stereo widener and things get just the tiniest bit wider. Um, not much, just enough to make a difference. Um, again, so... Consider the use of stereo wideners. One of my favorites is uh, DMG Dualism, um, D-U-A-L-I-S-M. It's not a cheap plugin, but it is amazing what it can do. There's a lot of great ones. There's one called Stereo Savage. Um, I don't remember who makes it. I can see it in my mind. Um, it's a really neat plugin, and it's pretty affordable. I think it's like 80 bucks. Uh, it's a really, really neat plugin. There's S1 from Waves. That's okay. I, I don't really use it a lot because I've got Dualism, and Dualism is <laughs> just packed with stuff. There's Dr. MS uh, from Matthew Lane. Uh, there's lots of great stereo plugins out there. So definitely check them out. You know, I would recommend using them on, you know, very cautious basis, but you know, have fun with it, you know, make a, make a killer something, the sound that's super wide. If it sounds good to you, uh, the main thing is that it can get phasey and it can start to sound a little bit weird in mono. And there's a lot of people out there that are like, I don't care about mono. It doesn't matter. But to me, uh, mono still matters because of phone speakers. Uh, it doesn't really matter for any other reason other than that. But a lot of people consume stuff on their phone speaker. They sit there, they have their phone on the table, they have their, you know, they're listening to a YouTube video or they're watching a video on Facebook or on Instagram. And you know, it makes a difference. You know, that first impression can be huge. And if an artist, let's say, says, hey, I just released my new music video and you pull it up and the mix completely sucks on that iPhone speaker, you know, you could whine and cry all day and be like, oh, well, I don't really know. That's not how music should be consumed. Of course it isn't. That sounds awful. The iPhone speaker's terrible. It's just like, you know what I mean? I don't even, I don't even like headphones, you know, like, I am the type of guy who I listen to music on my barefoots and on the stereo speakers that I built for myself because I'm that picky about listening on systems that I really enjoy that show me the full response and the full width and all those things. But it's still a very real thing and people will watch a video on their phone and hardcore judge that sound and judge that artist based on the sound of how it sounds through an iPhone speaker. And it sucks. Now, they don't, they're not doing it technically. They're not doing it on like, this mm, mix has a little bit too much 400 hertz. This guy sucks. Uh, you know, they're not doing that. But the way they feel, how they feel from that uh, impact. So if you've got something that's got all kinds of wideners on it and you've got a bunch of like phasey issues going on and they listen to it and it just sounds like drums and vocals and all the guitars are kind of like phasey and not really, they start to like cancel each other out and have like weird masking issues and the piano is kind of phasey and doesn't really sound distinct. You know, they're not going to remember those guitar hooks or remember those piano hooks or remember those riffs or remember those, you know, those, all those little things that, that add to the flavor of that mix, especially if it's something that's guitar driven. Um, you know, if it's a pop song, if it's like a Taylor Swift type thing, 
all they really care about is the beat and the vocal anyway. So, <laughs> you know, no one's sitting around and be like, man, I really like that, you know, Rhodes part that's tucked into that Taylor Swift song. Like nobody cares about that. They care about her voice and they care about the lyrics and they care about the beat. And that's most of what that type of style is. But on a rock thing, like on a Foo Fighter song or on a, a Rush song or a Led Zeppelin song or something like that, um, or even Angus Young on ACDC, like those things are part of the whole vibe. Like you can't just sacrifice one of them. You can't just be like, oh, I'll let the guitars sound like crap. That's fine. Nobody cares. Everyone's listening to ACDC for the vocalist. <laughs> I mean, come on. Nobody says that. We love ACDC and we love the guitars and we love just the whole picture. You know, ACDC is a great example of that where it's just like, man, the whole thing is great. I just want all of it. I don't want to sacrifice anything. So as much as I hate the whole mono compatibility thing, I really do to me, it is still important. It is still a factor. You know, that first impression with someone, you know, sees it on a phone speak, you know, they're watching a YouTube video on their phone. It, it makes a difference and it might determine whether or not that person continues to listen to the song or, or finishes it to the very end. You know, if the guitars sound kind of weak and weird, they're not going to be as, you know, they're going to be sparked like they might be if they, uh, if they were clear and distinct. Um, so anyway, uh, that's just one more thing to keep in mind. The last thing I want to talk about in regards to width is that you have to continue to look at the big picture of the song. So what I mean by that is you have to sort of create layers of width just like we create layers of depth, all right? So um, when we're talking about layers of depth, we're talking about, say, the vocal is up front and we have the drums that kind of sound like they're behind and you have certain elements that have more reverb and other elements that are drier. So you have these sort of layers of depth front to back. We also have to sort of create layers of width as well where you have some things, let's say toms, okay, that are maybe... 50 left and 50 right. And then you have maybe some backing vocals that are 100 left and 100 right, uh, or maybe even 50 left and 50 right. Um, and then you have, see, these keys parts that are hard left and right. But then you have, you got to have something that's like, you know, a little bit farther. Maybe you have guitars with a little bit of stereo widening on them. So you have these sort of layers of width in the mix. So not everything is just 100 left and right, 100 left and right. Um, you know, and I, I, like you guys know, probably if you're fans of the show, I mix mostly LCR, uh, which means I, I really only use left, center, and right pan spots. Every now and then I'll use 50-50, but I'm very selective about what those things are. Like I said, sometimes it's toms, sometimes it's backing vocals, might be a verse guitar, uh, but for the most part, it's left, center, right. But you got to be really careful. Um, you know, if you're if you're not the type of person that does LCR panning uh, and you do, you know, 20 left or 30 right or whatever, you got to be careful not to just think, oh, well, I've got you know, tons of different options. I could do 20-20, 30-30, 40-40, 50-50, you know what I mean? Like pairs of things or, you know, let's see, you know, guitar and piano, you know, are 50-50 and then backing vocal are 80-80. And you got to be careful about that because sooner than later, it can become just crazy cluttered. So you have to look at the big picture of what's happening. So let's say you've got uh, in a mix, you've got two guitars, you've got a piano and an organ, and you've got some vocals. Obviously, you've got bass and drums and things like that, but in lead vocal, but uh, you've got uh, backing vocals and maybe you've got a pair of uh, shakers or like a shaker and a tambourine. 
you have to look at the big picture of how everything fits together. So let's say you've got uh, your two guitars and one of them's playing down low and one of them's playing down high. Um, well, how does the piano fit into that equation? So where's the piano playing? What region is the piano playing? Okay, so maybe they're playing sort of in between both of those. Okay, that makes things easy because then you can pan the piano to either side and it's not a big deal. But what if the piano is playing in a similar range to the left guitar? Do you pan them both to the left or do you pan one to the right? Does panning that piano right then actually make the left and the right more similar because they're playing similar chord shapes on the left and the right? Should you pan the piano to the left or should the piano be changed completely? So that's a big thing and it's really difficult. It's difficult to know. There's not, and that's the other thing. There's no answer. I can't give you an answer of what you should do to that piano. (laughs) It's something you just have to try. And it's something that takes a lot of years of experience that I'm always learning more about. Arrangement is something that is so, so important and so difficult because there's no right answers. It's just whatever works, whatever works. Um, You know, it might even come down to the thing of, Maybe you don't have spots in that particular mix where the piano and the guitar are playing at the same time, you know, um, or again, make sure that that piano rhythm is maybe different. Maybe the piano is just sort of like pulsing, like da, 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 and the guitar is playing something a little more interesting with accents and with, you know, some notes sustaining. And so you can change those things. You fit those things together like a puzzle. You go back to what we talked about, about changing Uh, rhythm and changing tone and changing chord voicings and changing the player and changing all those things. Um, You have to change those things also between other elements in the mix. So if you have a piano and a guitar and one's on the left and the other's on the right, uh, or let's even say they're both on the left, those can't be so similar that you can't tell the difference between them, that they just mask each other and start start blurring together as this one sound. If you really want them to be distinct, they have to be different too. So you have to come up with ways. Maybe the piano is brighter and the guitar is a little darker on that side. Or maybe the guitar has a little more distortion and the piano is like very beautiful and clean and uncompressed and sort of, you know, like a sort of a picture perfect version of a piano. Uh, now, typically if it's like a rock song, I find myself having to to compress piano quite a bit to fit in that mix. Um, so maybe my, my guitar on that side will be a little bit more punchy, a little bit more uncompressed, a little cleaner maybe. Um, so that piano will be playing sort of down there. And I might make the piano a little bit uh, darker because the punchier, cleaner guitar is going to naturally be a little bit brighter. Uh, so it, it's a big puzzle and it's a big game. You know, it's not something that is a win or lose, really. It's just sort of how you play. And sometimes you win quick and sometimes, you know, it, you don't win so quick. <laughs> sometimes you fail and sometimes you get to start over and re-record an instrument or scrap one completely or whatever. Um, so it's always a challenge, but you have to try to keep that big picture in mind that even though you're trying to get these guitars wide, This song isn't just two guitars. It's a whole mix. It's a whole arrangement. And you have to look at the context. Where does it fit in? Can I can I simplify this? Can I drop one of the guitars here? How does it interact with the other things that are going to be stereo? How does it interact with the backing vocals? Where are the backing vocals singing? Is it overlapping where the guitars are? Is there a way I could pan around the backing vocals where, you know, the lower backing vocal is on the side with the higher guitar and the higher backing vocal is on the side with the lower guitar or with the piano? 
Um, so you got to think of those things too. When we like separation, we like things to be distinct. We like things to be able to be heard where you can pick out, you know, guitar, vocal, piano, those three things all in one speaker. Couple that with drums, bass, and lead vocal. Uh, and that's really hard to do. It's hard to get separation. Um, and of course, then there's the same, you could keep on going and say, well, if you get too much separation, then nothing's really gluing together. And it kind of sounds like awkwardly just instruments just all playing together and not really gluing together as a band. Some of that masking is necessary for the glue to happen. Um, so that's another factor as well. Uh, these are all such important factors. They're all, I mean, I could go on and on and on about this stuff, but width is a, is a not so simple as just panning something or using a stereo widener. It really has a lot more to do with, like I said, what mono is and what it isn't and how to get sort of distinct tones and, and you know, inversions and, and sort of different rhythms and all these different factors and making sure that you have just enough blend where everything sounds like congealed and it sounds glued and it sounds like it's all one performance and that it's all one band, but that you have enough distinction where stuff isn't cluttering up and it's not, uh, you know, smearing and canceling out certain frequencies and getting these masking issues, as they say. And so, anyway, I hope this podcast has given you things to consider, things to think about. If you have questions about anything we talked about, send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Also, send me any show suggestions, questions, comments, things of that nature to that same email address. Uh, you can be a supporter of this podcast with PayPal donations. Uh, you can head over to the blog at recordinglounge.blogspot.com and there should be a donate button where you can uh, set up a monthly donation. Uh, I hear that that's very expensive for overseas listeners. So you can also, uh, for uh, you know US listeners or overseas listeners, you can become a patron of the show using my Patreon account. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash recordinglounge where you can essentially uh, pledge to give a certain amount of money of your choice, whether it's a dollar or $2 or $10 or whatever, every time I publish a podcast to help support the podcast and encourage me to make more podcasts. Um, that's really amazing. Thanks for all the supporters I have on that so far. And thank you guys for your PayPal donations. It means a lot to me that you care and you want me to keep doing shows. Uh, make sure to check out my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash recording lounge. And again, be a liker, be a follower, be a sharer, uh, you know, participate on the social media, facebook.com slash recording lounge, be a part of the community there. And uh, again, send me your questions and comments and suggestions. Leave me a five-star review on the iTunes uh, review page where you go to iTunes and look up the podcast recording lounge. You can leave me a review. Please do that. That's really helpful. It helps my podcast reach more people when it's more popular and more suggested. Um, and I want to get this podcast out to people. So um, anyway, I've got some cool shows planned in the future. I hope you guys have a great day today. Um, for all my listeners that have been sending me questions, I've gotten a lot of questions these last couple of weeks. Um, thank you guys so much for those questions. I really enjoy talking to you and helping you through your uh, issues and your problems. And sometimes it's just a show suggestion. So I always appreciate those. So I'll talk to you guys next time. Be well.